Hi, I'm Ariel. And I'm Twinning. And you're listening to Breaking Through the Podcast. Welcome back to Breaking Through the Podcast. Today's guest is one of the brightest lights you'll ever meet. His accomplishments will come as no surprise as his work ethic and talent are clear to anyone who is lucky enough to meet him. In just a few short years, he's worked his way to represent in some of our favorite actors. His clients have landed roles on prestigious networks such as HBO, ABC, and Netflix, just to name a few. Please welcome Johnny Webster. Johnny Webster. Before we talk about your career as a talent manager, we we really want to know what you were up to before it all. What were some of your first jobs and were there any breakthrough moments early on that led you to the entertainment industry? So it's such an interesting story. I started out wanting to be a performer. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a singer. Um, I grew up um, in Memphis, Tennessee, and we grew up really poor. And so, you know, growing up in inner city, growing up in poverty, like you don't have those opportunities readily, readily available to you. Um, and the little things that you, we, I would do was like little school plays or, you know, like the kindergarten class would always have like a spring show or a fall show. And so that was the most of what I did. And I really loved it. Um, but being a black boy in the South, wanting to dance, wanting to perform, I got made fun of. And so I think my mom, you know, kind of discouraged it just a way to protect me. And so I never really did it again until maybe high school when I started doing the drama club. Um, And so it was like drama club. It was like I was directing one act plays. I was the president of the drama department at one point. Um, And then I left high school and went to college and studied I don't know, communications. And then like my major changed literally every semester. I had a different major um, to the point to where I just dropped out of school because I was like, I don't want to be here. And so I dropped out of school to move to New York to be a dancer because funny story, I don't know if you know this, but um, I was on an episode of MTV's Made. It was this, (gasps) I know, I know, I know. I was made into a sugar mock, which was our school's, my school's all-girl dance team, um, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, they had a dance team called the Sugar Mox. It was this all-girl jazz dance team, and I always wanted to join the team. And so I rode into MTV, and I got chosen. I mean, it was a bunch of interviews. It was a long process, but I ended up getting chosen, and I auditioned and did this whole thing, and I got to be on MTV for a day, um, which was really fun. And I was like, oh, like I'm, I think I could be a really good dancer. I should move to New York to be a dancer. And so I moved to New York to pursue dance. And after about three months of being in New York, studying at the Broadway Dance Center, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't like this industry. I don't like what this is about. It's taking the fun away from dancing. Now I'm trying to make it out of make. Now I'm trying to make it a job. And now I'm trying to pursue something that was once fun and what made me feel good no longer makes me feel good. So I remember at the time I was living in Harlem and there was a guy that lives below me that was a ballet dancer. And he said to me, you know, 
and he was incredible. Like he was an incredible dancer and was a really nice guy. And said, well, what do you, what do, like, how do you express yourself? He was like, for me, like dance is how I express myself. It's my body, it's my movement. And I said, well, I mean, for me, I think it's like, I like talking and performing and making people laugh. And he was like, well, why don't you pursue acting? You're in New York, you should try to be an actor. And I was like, I never thought about it. And I was like, well, I mean, I have always loved Jennifer Love Hewitt. So maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe um, I could be an actor. And so I started to pursue a career in acting. I joined, or I signed up to join the William Esper Studio, which was a two-year acting conservatory. Um, And I did the first year and I loved it. It was so incredibly difficult and painful and emotional. But the Meisner technique was this, this beautiful technique that, for me, allowed me to be more of myself. But what I found in studying acting, I needed to make money. And so I started working in production. And so I was working on these like random productions as a PA. I worked on like As the World Turns, which is a New York soap as a talent PA. I worked on like a couple of random MTV, um, like little productions, like award shows, just like a talent wrangler. And, and then I went home to back to Memphis for a year and got a job working on American Idol when it came to Memphis for the auditions. And it was like this amazing, amazing experience of like working behind the scenes seeing it all, being a part of it, being able to deal with the talent. And and I started to understand how my experience as wanting to be a performer and studying the art of acting allowed me to be able to talk to actors and to really be able to like understand them. So when I moved back to New York, I got back into production and I started working on these talk shows as a talent PA. And I was seeing how my relationship with the, with the talent was so... Um, it was sort of serendipitous. Like we just got along and they always requested me to be their onset PA. And so over time, I under, I started to understand more behind the scenes of, of TV and film. And I realized that there was agents and there was managers and there were casting directors and there was publicists. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do all of these things um, because I, ju- I, I want to be all of them. I just want to be an, I want to be a publicist. I want to be a casting director. I want to be an agent. I want to be a manager. I just want to help actors get jobs, get publicity, get their name out there because I saw so many talented people just not have an opportunity. So then I decided, well, I really want to pursue this. What am I going to do? I've been in New York for four and a half years. I've pretty much done as much as I can do on the talent side. What if I moved to LA um, to be to work in casting or in talent management? And at the time I was working for this production company called Embassy Row And they were going to be doing the first season of the Glee Project in L.A. And I was like, oh, that's kind of the perfect opportunity. Maybe I'll move to L.A. and then I'll work on the Glee Project. And that'll be the sort of nice way to transition. So I bought a one-way ticket to L.A. And I moved to L.A. on a whim. I didn't have the job. They couldn't promise it to me. They couldn't guarantee me anything. They just said, look, if you're there... Then whatever I did, only know I only knew two people in LA at the time, three people in LA at the time, and only one of them I could stay with. Um, I didn't really save any money, and so I moved to LA. Was in LA for two weeks. The Glee project started. They brought me on as like a office PA, and I was like, "This is not what I signed up for. I wanted to be the talent PA." And they were like, "Well." all this run around. And so at the time I was friends with this girl on Facebook that I had met in New York and I reached out to her and I was like, Hey, I'm in town. She's like, Oh my God, let's get dinner before I go shoot this movie. So should we go to dinner? She was like, well, what do you want to do? Originally you want to be an actor. I was like, well, I really want to be a talent manager. And she's like, well, my manager is looking for an assistant. 
And I was like, well, you should send my resume. She was like, well, do you have any experience? I was like, no, but you should still send my resume. You know, the the worst that could happen is like, I don't get the job. The best thing that happened is I get the job. So she sent my resume. I got an interview. They told me you were great. You love our clients. Also, I had a TV blog at the time. So I was doing a lot of TV blogging and I knew all of their clients. I knew all about, you know, what they were doing. I was super impressed, but I knew nothing about, nothing about the business. I didn't know anything about casting directions, about nothing. And they were like, we really like you, but we really need someone with experience. And I said, well, you don't find anyone, you let me know. And so then I left the interview and I got a call as I was leaving. It's like, hey, HR wants to meet with you. They're not really sold on us hiring someone who doesn't have an, who doesn't have an experience. So she wants to meet you and get to know you. So I met HR Blew her away, as I always do. Um, <laughs> she was like, oh my God, I love you. You're so great. Um, you're, you're amazing. amazing. <laughs> um, and so then I ended up getting the job and as their assistant. And that was um, in 2011, literally a month into living in LA. I got this job as an assistant. I had no idea what I was doing. I cried every single day because it was so hard. Ha- it was hard. It was like, it was, it was pilot season. I had never been on a desk before. Um, at the time, the two guys I was assisting like didn't really have the time to train because they had the, they had a bunch of stuff going on. So it was literally like sink or swim, and I somehow swam, even though I don't know how to swim. <laughs> so I'm basically amazing. Yeah, um, you floated. That's what you were yeah. doing. You were floating. I was, I was, I was just like, I mean, literally I would be in the bathroom doing lunch crying because it was so hard and was so stressful, but like, it made me really great at what I, it made me great at what I, at what I do. Because I think for me, what I, I had this moment where I was like, I could either give up because it's really hard and because I don't have any help and because I didn't set out to do this and because I really wanted to, or I could just seize the day. And I've never in my mind thought I could like really do this. I just knew that I loved it and I wanted to do it. And at one point an actor reached out and um, to my current, one of my bosses at the time, and but my boss couldn't take him on. So I was like, well, let me do it. And I was like, but like, what am I going to do? And I ended up meeting this guy for lunch. We talked. I ended up signing him. And like, he booked like three jobs. And I was like, I mean, they weren't like huge jobs. But it was like, I was like, oh my God, I think I can do this. Like, I literally think I can do this. And in that moment, I realized I could do anything I put my mind to. I mean, having no experience, no degree, no idea what I was doing. I'm literally doing the very thing that I said I wanted to do when I moved to LA. And I don't know many people who say I'm going to move to LA and become an actor or become a dancer, become a director, become a writer and become that within the first month of their journey. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like, like, I was like, and I'm what I've been here 10 years now and I'm still doing it. Wow. That's amazing. So, and yes, you can do anything that you put your mind to. I do, I've only known you for like 20 minutes and I fully believe that. I really do. I'm like, amen. <laughs> well, I feel pumped. I, you make me feel like I could do anything that I want to do. Now I'm like, yeah. And I think, I, but that is, I think that's part of the reason why I'm so good at my job is because I make every single person that I represent, that I meet, that I know that like, dude, I came from nothing. And here I am in L.A., 
living my dream, living by myself, taking care of myself in a pandemic when there's no money, there's no industry, and like I'm still doing it. Like you can do anything you put your mind to as long as you learn how to work smart and not hard. That's the difference. I think people misunderstand the difference between working smart and working hard. I think you can work hard and get nowhere. You can work smart and get somewhere quicker than you would if you were just like grinding and grinding and grinding. You know, so many people are grinding, but it's like, but what are you actually doing? Well, I think people also mistake being busy for being important. And I think it's easy, especially in the entertainment industry, you want to be able to say that you're booked until November, December. Now I'm just like, yeah, I've got openings, but I'm, I'm, I like give myself personal time. So I'll probably wait till November, you know, just be honest. No, it's I mean, like, it's, but you have to learn it. You have to get there. You do. I tell people, actors all the time, especially um, people who move to LA from other places, you know, you have to one, understand that you were the, you were the best looking girl in Piedmont, North Dakota. You're now moving to a city where everyone in their towns or their cities, they were the prettiest person in that city, in that town, the best actor, the best singer, the best dancer in Tennessee, in Arkansas, in Florida, in Ohio, in Idaho. And you come to LA where every single person who was at that level is here now. So the competition is higher. The level of, 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 of what you're going to be have to do is is even greater. So when you come here, the first thing you need to do, I tell people, is you have to set yourself up to live here. You got to start living where you're trying to pursue your dreams because if you're not able to live, you're never going to fully be able to give yourself over to your art. You're never going to be able to be a painter if you don't know how you're going to buy paint. If you don't know where you're going to get your canvas, you're never going to be able to be an amazing dancer. If you don't have a place to study, to take dance classes, if you don't have the freedom to go and audition seven times a day, if you don't have any money, like where are you going to get the money to live? Where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to get your, like your dance costumes? Where are you going to get your paint? Where are you going to pay? Are you, how are you going to pay for your acting class? How are you going to pay for to keep up your guitar lessons to like... Like people just come here and think I'm gonna move to LA. I'm gonna I'm gonna be an, I'm gonna be a star. And it's like, yeah, if you if you're on Flavor of Love, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's such yeah, a good if you reference. go and do. I love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you'll become a star. But like, are you gonna become an artist? No. You know, like I see people, I see people in workshops where I'm like, why are you doing this monologue? Like, you're never gonna get this role. Why are you playing a 30-year-old man when you're 22? Why are you doing a scene from Top Gun? Why are you doing the Mindy Project? You're not Mindy Kaling. Like, she is... That's Mindy Kaling. She wrote that as a vehicle for her. So why would you try to play her? Why not do a character on the show and make it your own? So, you know, I, I always tell people all the time, like, it's not about being busy. It's not about being productive. It's not about you know, get being hungry, being a hustler. It's about like being smart, like taking care of yourself. Like what are you doing for your mental health first? Because this industry is brutal, no matter where you are. Oh, for sure. The entertainment industry just in general can like knock you down a peg or two. And you've got, I feel like artists in general have to have like kind of this resilience to, you know, you just got to have thick skin. And I mm-hmm. always think like if you're seeking validation, 
like the criticism is always going to hurt you as well. I feel like if you don't, if you, tri- that's why I feel like the, the industry is designed to like knock you down and it's rejection after rejection. But I feel like it's the people that, you know, just keep on going and, and believe in themselves and surround themselves with the best people or where the love is, then you're growing and you're learning. It's all about a matter of you got to keep going. But with that, like we all know, being artists and or actors, like you, you need to know when that next paycheck is coming from. And that is the balance. And I think that's why many people give up because it is, it's so, so tough. Um, I, I read somewhere like before you came, became a talent manager, um, you worked in casting, like you said, and production. What was your first big break in the entertainment industry, would you say? My first big break, I would have to say I got a job being a casting assistant on this show for TV Land called Make My Day. I don't even remember how I met the producer at the time. I think I, I don't even know. I think someone like put me in touch, but it was the first time working. Oh, actually, take that back. JK, JK. No, I have a good one. My very first production job. I I blanked this out because it was such a traumatic experience, but it was like my <laughs> it was very traumatic. I literally blank it out and it, I just thought about it. And my very first big job in production, my very first job when I was living in New York and I was and I was starting to pursue um, production. My very first job, I was the PA for the Maury Povich show. Oh my gosh. No way. Talk about, talk about the worst job ever. I, it, first of all, they're all, these people are all real. It is not fake. It is not fake. None of it is scripted. These are real people. Oh my God. So I know you you two are Americans. Can you explain for the English person here what it is? Okay, so the Maury show is like, is basically, how do I describe the Maury show? Like imagine a train wreck in a dumpster fire in a shit storm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you have people... From like the lowest of the low, unfortunately and unfortunately, coming on national television to somehow find out if the guy they've been sleeping with is the father of their child. Oh, it's like Jerry Springer. Yes. But it predates Jerry. Like this is like the OG. Right? This is like the yeah, this is like the OG. Mori Povich has been around for like 300 years. Um I think Maury went to school with Jesus. It was like, (laughs) it was like the, I mean, it is like the craziest show ever. And that was my first time in production. And so from that experience, I was like, well, now I know right away what I never want to do again. And so that's another thing that I think helped me a lot in navigating my career is I started to, when I would take jobs, I would decide for myself, is this a job that I want to do again? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And the thing that I didn't like about the Maury show was that it was 
I morally could not handle putting these people in these situations because they didn't they didn't come on to be humiliated. They legitimately, I think on some level, wanted to know the paternity of their their kid. And they knew that this was a free way to do it. And and a lot of these people didn't have money. They like they didn't have phones. Like they they're like they wouldn't have diapers for their I mean it was it was a lot. And I just could not handle working in that environment because I felt like I was contributing to the stigmas like the stigmatism of like lower class people and coming from a lower class environment. Like I just could not put my people out like that. And so I stopped. And then eventually I don't remember, but I got this job um, as a casting assistant on this TV land show called make my day for NBC row, which was the complete opposite of the Maury Povich show. Make my day was this show where, where uh, an employee or like an employer would, would want to surprise their coworker who was struggling or going through something with like the best day ever. So you would like find out that like, you know, Megan really, you know, wants to have a night on the town, but she can't afford it or whatever. And you would go about surprising her and giving this person, your loved one, your colleague, your friend, this really amazing day. That's so beautiful. And it's instant manifestation. I mean, you literally saw what you didn't want anymore. And the universe is like, we got you. And it was so awesome. And it was such a wonderful experience. And it was there where I kind of got the, like, the casting bug. And it was there where I was able to put my, like, relationship skills, my people skills to the test. Because with reality casting, you're casting real people. So you have to really know how to, like, engage with regular people and talk to people. But also understand that, like, most people are crazy. So you have to have, like, that, like... You have to have, like, a little bit of a screw loose to, like, really deal with, like, the insanity of real people. Because you're casting people to go on TV and be heightened versions of themselves. Um, and it's amazing. Because, I mean, people, like, will will willingly sell themselves out to be on TV. And it's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream. I feel like the hardest job being a manager no matter you know what industry you're in you have to learn how to manage people and mm-hmm. i feel like you've got great emotional intelligence i wonder if your enneagram number is the the number 2 you know i don't know anything i have not been able to like give myself the the time to look at the enneagrams like i see them all the time but like i have no idea and i want to know but like i don't know that i want to pay 300 bucks to take a test oh no honey we'll send you some free stuff twinny and i spend a lot of time in nashville i lived there for almost five years and i swear to god nashville is to blame for the enneagram like boost that's happened and i will send you all the links that you need (laughs) oh please do i'm like I want to I wanna know. I see them all. I used to see them all the time on like dating profiles and stuff, but I like never understood what it meant. And I would look it up and it's like, I'm not paying to take a test to find out that I'm a lunatic. I know that already. <laughs> no, this, I know I'm dramatic ones. and emotional. That's amazing. There's, uh, it, there's some free ones, but I bet that you are a number three with a two wing or a two with a three wing. The two is the helper and the three is the need to succeed. I do believe for sure. I am definitely a helper for sure. 
Um, and I do have a need to succeed. I think the need to succeed came from growing up how I grew up. And for me, it's like my goal in life is to succeed and do well so that I can show my family and my my sisters and my clients and my friends that like you can come from any part of this country and this world and any socioeconomic level and you can succeed. And so there is a part of me that I feel like for a long time, like that was my driving force. Um, now my driving force, as much as it is, as much as I want to succeed, I want to succeed um, with peace and serenity. I want to be, I want to feel good about what I'm doing more than I want the money, more than I want the sort of success. I want to feel good. I want to wake up every day and know that what I'm doing means something. Even if it's as simple as getting an audition for a client who really wants an audition, or if it's as simple as like, you know, making someone smile who was having a bad day. Like those are the things that like I try to one day at a time, one experience at a time, I try to do because I remember what it was like for me, especially living in New York, to be walking down the street, having a shitty day and like see someone smile at me. And then I'm like, oh my God, like that was so nice, you know? Or does someone ask me, how am I doing? You know, or just be like, hi, like... There's something so simple and so beautiful about just saying hi to someone, even if they don't say hi back. Like, I feel like if I can transmit joy and serenity and peace, then I can receive that at the same time. I think we often live in these sort of like self-induced comas of our own feelings. And we're just like, well, I don't I don't understand why like everyone and it's like, well, but are you giving you know, are, what are you giving to the world? Are you just wanting to take? Are you wanting to get from this and get from that? Like, what are you giving? And that was something that I learned like five years ago. Is like you have to come into, into experiences wanting to give something. If you're always trying to get, you're never going to receive. And you can't give what you don't have. Oh, Johnny, please can we be <laughs> friends in real life? <laughs> I love you. I know, same, same. I'm so happy to have you. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. You know, in 2012, you became a talent manager with New Wave Entertainment, and that must have been such a huge moment. How did the opportunity come about? And were you able to celebrate it at the time or did you kind of just hit the ground running? Because I saw that you you celebrated it every year, but in the beginning, were you able to celebrate it? You know, so the the first job that I was telling about was New Wave Entertainment. That was, yeah. So in 2011, I was an assistant, which means that I got promoted after a year. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yes, you did. I did. Yes, she did. Um, I, you know, I loved my New Wave experience. It was, again, it was my, everything that happened to me at New Wave was my first experience. So like, it was my first time getting promoted and it was so exciting. I got an office, I got a desk, I got a, I got a phone, I got my own phone, I got a business card, I got an assistant, I got an expense account. I was so overly excited I, like, remember, like, signing, like, 35 actors in, like, three days. They were like, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. (laughs) Slow down. Slow down. Take your time. But I was so excited because I was like, finally, I'm off this desk. I'm no longer, there's no longer any sort of restrictions around, you know, what I can and can't do. And I wanted to go out and be a manager for the people. And so I just, I would, like see someone and be like, you, sir, you could be an actor. What's your name? Oh my God, you're so pretty. What's your... I was like totally that person who was like, 
oh my god you're so cute have you ever thought of being an actor and they're like <laughs> oh no i'm i work at a bank oh my god like, amazing. I'm good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant but what do you like so there were so many firsts like in that first year what do you feel like if you had to pick one what was your first big win as a talent manager oh my god my first big win was so i had represented two actors at the time who had no credits none zero and so I had represented the two of them for oh, for a year and every, I mean, they were auditioning and getting close and getting close and getting close. And then there was my, my first big success was at a client at the time and she had never worked and she got an audition to self-tape for this Amazon project. Um, but she was on her way, she was traveling. So she taped it in an airplane, in an airport, like in like a back room in an airport. We sent the tape off. She got a call back. When she came back, she had a call back. And then she went in for a, a producer session, went in for the producer session, came out of the producer session. I got a call that she booked the role. And it was my first time ever having a client book a pilot. Oh, my gosh. And it was, like, the biggest celebration. We had, like, this massive dinner, me, her, and her husband, and her mom, and her dad. It was, it was like, the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me. It was my first year as a manager. Like, I had, like, ne- I didn't even know what to do. You know what I mean? And so that was my first experience. That was my very first, very first exciting experience. And, like, and then the pilot went to series, which I was like, shut up. Okay, just shut up. Like, this is not, this is not, this is not real. And then the series got canceled. Before it even started. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. And then, on top of that, the client fired me after that. Yeah. However, however, all of those things were, as traumatic as they were, were the three most important experiences of my life. I learned right away to celebrate a win and let it go to not hold on to it, to not let that define you, to not let that be the thing that you're trying to to chase more and more. Because pilots will come, pilots will go. The second thing that that experience taught me was learn how to be a manager that is professional, that is direct, that is honest, that is not trying to use your client to, to propel your career. It is not about being someone's friend. It is about being their manager, being professional, and not letting those lines cross. And three, the third thing I learned from that experience was always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. I met this this particular actor like years ago in New York when I was a casting assistant on a low-budget film. She came in and she read and she was amazing. And I knew from that moment she was incredible. And I, when I moved to LA four years later, we connected on Facebook. I signed her and I believed in her and I fought for her. And now she's the lead. She's been a lead of three different shows. So it gave, it made me realize that my gut and what I believe in and how I see talent is real. And to never let anyone tell me who I can and cannot sign based on their level of experience, their credit, their look, their type, or anything. I think that's amazing. And I just want to celebrate for one second that the, that you didn't say 
the thing I learned was to not celebrate until we had something. Because so many people just say, okay, so now I know it cannot work out, so I'm not going to get excited till it does. That's something that's really common in the music industry. I think in every entertainment industry. And I want to celebrate the fact that from that experience, you learned to celebrate each step. What? I know. I, I celebrate I celebrate everything because every little victory counts. Like every little victory counts because you never know when you're going to have that experience again. So if someone books something, you celebrate and you enjoy it. And I always tell the client, like, please celebrate this victory. Like it may not be the role you wanted. It may not be a big role, but celebrate the fact that like the work that you are doing is paying off. The fact that you are being paid to be an actor. That's a celebration. If you write a song and it gets published or someone buys, that is a celebration. Even if it doesn't go anywhere, even if you get cut out of the movie or the song gets cut or the whatever, celebrate the fact that what you're doing is being validated. That's a celebration. My celebration is that like, okay, I'm representing good people because these people are booking jobs, testing for pilots or getting in the mix or just getting great feedback. Like that is what you signed up to do. Your job, as much as it is to book jobs, it is to continue to do work and to work. And so every audition is an opportunity to be an actor. And if you get to go into an audition, be an actor, and them say, you were really great, but we went with someone else, that is a celebration. That is nothing to be defeated about. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about some more bucket list stuff? Because I loved um, seeing, in 2014, you checked off a bucket list item because one of your clients were cast in a CW show. I'm such a CW person. Like, I watch it all, all of it, Freeform and CW. So when I read that, I was like, yeah, that'd be on my bucket list, too. How did it feel for you? I mean, I know it's like, it must feel different for the client than for you. But for you as a fan of CW, like, what did it feel like? So I have to say, like, part of the reason why I love my job is, like, I get to, I get to, like, help be a facilitator of dreams while also facilitating my own dreams at the same time. And like because my clients love it, because my clients trust me, like they do things that they don't want to do because I make them. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes like, for example, okay, so I'll tell you what my bucket list experiences have been. And I've like literally died. So getting a client on CW show was like a huge bucket list because I'm a huge CW fan. I've loved CW since forever. And so being able to get someone on a CW show has been amazing. And I've gotten it multiple times. Another huge bucket list of mine was to have a client book a Hallmark Channel movie because I'm obsessed with Hallmark Channel. Obsessed. Obsessed. Like, I, I want to live in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> and so, like, live. And so I got, I signed this actress, Natalie Hall. And I'm obsessed with her because, A, she was on Pretty Little Liars which I'm obsessed with and I loved. So I signed her like almost like two, three years ago, three years ago. And she got her own Hallmark movie. She was a winter princess. Ah, like, I love and that movie. They invited, me to, they invited me to the Hallmark TCAs. They invited me to go home and family. So like they literally, like that was like a dream come true. Second, um, I don't know if you know the show, but it's called Being Erica. It was like a Canadian show. And it's on Hulu right now. You should watch it if you can. But there, it was like this amazing show that I watched as a like as a 
I was in New York just like working and like I saw it on TV and I was like, I'm obsessed with this character, Erica Strange, and I'm obsessed with her assistant. And this, and she became a publisher, Julianne. And this was Aaron Carplunk and Reagan Pasternak. And I was obsessed with them and obsessed with this show. I now represent both of them. Oh, amazing. I feel like you're a really good visualizer. Oh, I mean, you I'm manifest all about everything. It. I'm all about it. Yeah, when I come back to LA, we need to do like a, a dream board night, please. Teach me your ways, Jolly. I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly, like, I, I think I just, like, I just, I like, just like, say, this is what I would like. This is what I want. And I get some variation. And look, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Like, there have been some rough, rough experiences. I've lost clients. I've gained clients. I've left jobs and gotten jobs. I've had clients fired off of jobs. So like, it's not all rainbows and, and gummy bears, but like when it hap- when it counts, it counts. I had a client that at the time, like I was obsessed with Teen Wolf and I had a client, I was working for a company and it was their client and I wanted her, and I like fought to get her this job. And there was almost a moment where she wasn't going to do it because of all the logistical stuff. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> Take this away from me. She ended up doing it and it like kicked off and like propelled her career. Like it's like all of these little moments where like I always tell people like, trust me, like I I know I'm a 16 year old girl inside and I know I'm a fan girl <laughs> and I know I'm supposed to have like great taste and be this like, you know, like this like manager that's like all about like the Cohen brothers and like Fincher and Silver <laughs> and like, and it's like, listen, listen. If I can just have a client be on Gossip Girl, the reboot, I would have succeeded as a manager. Like, if I can, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you just have to, you have to put it out there. And I put it out there that every year I want a Christmas movie. And this year I got three Christmas movies. Yes, you did. I have two clients on Lifetime Christmas movies and one client on a Hallmark movie. I'm winning. I am winning. I feel like based on every show that you're obsessed with, we would be, all three of us would be really yes. good friends. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and how do you find the, like, how do you balance, like, the emotional world for, like, just day to day? Like, because we've talked about the highs and lows. I know from, like, being an artist point of view, it must be very difficult for my managers and same for you, like when you're trying to protect the client or, you know, kind of letting them down gently or you can't help, but you're obviously so invested that how do you personally manage, you know, the disappointment when they don't get a job or like, yeah, how do you, how do you balance That's it That's such a great question. And, um, and I, it's something that I've spent most of my career learning how to do. I think in the beginning, I was so personally invested that I, it was almost as hard for me as it was for the clients to give them bad news or to tell them bad news because, you know, the manager is always giving the bad news. So, and the client's rely on me for so much emotional support that it became like a like let's say five clients tested for a pilot and none of them got it you've got to tell five clients that they didn't get the thing that they thought they were going to get and they put so much investment into it and and clients took it certain some took it well some didn't but it's just it was it was a it is emotionally exhausting and so what i learned over time and is that for me, 
first of all, I have to take any personal feelings I have out of it. I have to not attach any emotional weight to this this job or this booking. So if I if a client is testing for a pilot, it's a whatever, whatever, I have to instantly go, whatever happens, it's fine. I have to instantly say that to myself. And then I've started to, which is works or doesn't work, I've decided to I just rip the band-aid off. I just have to go, hey, just want to call and let you know they went another way. I'm so sorry. Let me know if you need anything. They didn't tell me who. They got to go through their process, but they said you did great. Or whatever the feedback is, let me know if you need me. But I think you should take this time for yourself to go process, to go have your feelings. Call me back if you need to. I'm around. I'm here for you. I'm sorry that I have to give you this news, but, you know, it's, you know, that's what it is. And I have to, I have to keep it that specific because any, any deviation from that goes into a whole dissection of what happened, why they, and again, I don't know. They don't tell me, you know, the producer have, they have three people they, that they like, that they see in this role. They want these, any of these three people, they want to get it. They send the tapes off to the studio. The studio decides of those three who they want. And then the network decides ultimately who they want representing their network for this show. And they don't go, well, we want this person because of that person. They go, oh, it's her. Oh, it's him. And that's it. And speaking of that, like, obviously, with casting and, you know, there's producers and directors for an actor that, you you know, there's a process that you have to go through. Like, for you as the talent manager, I don't know, what do you see when you're signing a client? Like, what do they have to have? And sorry to be, like, gimmicky, but, like, the X factor. What do you look for? I look for, well, first of all, like, it's... For me, it's more of a, it's a gut feeling. You know, I think you just know. I think it's the same as any industry. Like, it's like dating. Like, when you see a person, you're like, yeah, it's him. Yeah, it's her. Like, I think that's the first thing is like, yeah. And then you get to know them and then you start to realize, okay, wow, like, there's really something here. Or you go, ah, oh, there's nothing there. You know, beautiful, interesting looking, but like, no personality, no this. And for me, it's all about who I want to root for. You know, I want to represent people that I want to see do well. I want to represent people that I want to see on TV or or on stage or in a film or in a commercial. Like, you know, like that's what I look for. Like, is this someone that I am excited enough about that I want to spend every waking moment trying to get them an opportunity to get a job? You know, it's not about credits. It's not about, you know anything other than like, is this person interesting? And do I think there is a place for this person in the marketplace? Like, do I know for a fact that I can get casting executives excited about this person based on how they look, what they have, what their resume looks like, what their reel looks like? Or is it like, oh, she's just so incredibly weird and interesting and he's just so bizarre that like, why wouldn't you want to put this person in a movie or a film or on stage? Um, and so it's not, I'm never looking for anything. Imp- I'm never looking for anything particular. I just want to be excited. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I can imagine that as you're moving through your career, you're getting even more freedom to bring these types of people on. I mean, in 2019, you joined the Throughline Entertainment team. And I know that you spent so many years with New Wave. Like, what was it like transitioning to a new company? And how did it change? 
it did it change at all for you what you were doing did it bring um more freedom or more opportunity for you as a manager you know i think every opportunity every job was different and was different for different reasons and so new wave was my very first experience as a in the entertainment industry as on the talent side and so i learned so much i built so many relationships with casting people with agents with other managers with you know actors and and so it was a really great learning opportunity it was like the foundation for what i was going to become and how i was going to become you know what I was, how I was going to become a manager and what kind of manager I was going to become. And what I learned at New Wave was that my taste and my, how I work is very different from other people. And I don't want to necessarily represent a certain type of people or a certain kind of people. I want to represent, you know, all kinds of people because I can, I've, through my experience, I was able to represent young, old, you know, white, black, blue, green, you know, I was able to represent a lot of different people and they did well. And so what I wanted to do after New Wave was I wanted to go somewhere where I could learn even more. Um, And so I went somewhere else where I was able to work with a smaller list and really learn the nuts and bolts of like really developing, you know, actors, you know, on this much smaller scale, but much higher level clients on a much smaller scale. And then from that experience, I learned a lot and I grew a lot. But then I realized that I really wanted to get back to sort of the like representing all different types of, you know, actors in the in different levels and careers and different, you know, like I just wanted to represent a bunch of different people. So I went to industry where I was able to really rebuild my list and really find my my like my niche, you know, like what I was going to be good at. And I learned and I learned so much so that like by the end of my contract there, I'd had seven clients book pilots, five clients on series. Like it was like the best time of my life. And yet I knew that I needed to move on from there and go somewhere where I was going to be able to expand on what I had learned over the years. And so when I met Throughline, I met the most amazing, wonderful, supportive people who made me feel like I could do anything. I could be anything. Um, And I can't imagine being anywhere else. That's amazing. And just to pick up what you were saying before, I think it's really refreshing. Like being an actress myself and like I love like my agent we have like it's different in America you have like a manager and an agent but she I suppose does the same similar kind of job to you um what you do for your clients and I think it is so refreshing to hear somebody from the industry when they are looking for talent that they're they're still listening to their gut and they're not like looking at like TikTok followers or like just what people's appearance is I think like just refreshing to hear you talk about that because I feel like we live in a day and age now where uh, people like you are very few and far between. Well, I mean, I think for me, I'm just a little bit more open and public and public about how I do business and how I work. And I think, I think, you know, there's a, I think there's a manager for every actor and I'm only for specific people. I've had tons of meetings with like, big actors who don't go with me because I'm not 
right for them. You know, I'm a little bit more personal. I'm a little bit more hands-on. Like, I'm not a suit. I'm not, you know, sitting, you know, in a corner office, like, promising you the world. You know, I'm not... I'm not here to deliver you a fantasy. I'm here to, to to talk about reality. And I think, you know, TikTok and Instagram and social media, for me, I don't know, a, I don't know that a lot of talented people are getting jobs because of their social media following. I think having a social media following will help you if you get a job because you can promote that job to your to your followers. But like, I don't, Outside of outside of the feature worlds, I don't know that TikTok and Instagram necessarily affects you getting a job or not. Like, I don't know that, like, even some of these producers even know how to use TikTok or Instagram. So, like, you know, like, I think we're still learning how to use Zoom, let alone I don't think they're looking at TikTok. You know, the president of, like, MGM is not at home on TikTok looking to see who he's going to put in his next film or his next TV series. But I do think that Instagram and TikTok play a role in how we look at ourselves and how we look at what it means to be successful or what it means to be famous. Um, I think you can you can want to be famous and or you can want to be a successful actor. I think there are two different things. Oh, for sure. You know, 2020, I think for a lot of us has really allowed us to have an authentic voice because of the social injustice that's going on in our country and because of, you know, this election and because of, you know, all the different things that are happening in 2020, social media, I think, has has united a lot of us and has allowed us to finally be able to be free with ourselves so that we can finally get out into the world, like what we want and what we need. And for me, I've used social media as a as a way of social activism, as a way to educate people who wouldn't otherwise be educated on racism and, you know, biases and prejudice. And, you know, and the pandemic has honestly, like, I think made us all take a step back and look at what's important to us and what we value. I think before this, we were all workers and working and working and working and working. We were living to work. And now I think we're all working and living and trying to find the balance of like, how do I work and and do work and how do I live and, and just live? And so, you know, I think it's important for a lot of us now, we're using this social platform as a way to be able to finally like let the air out, you know? Yeah. And also I feel like COVID gave us a chance in America because we're in the middle of a really imperative civil rights movement as well. And I feel like COVID gave this space for, there's a lot of people that needed to learn a lot like and, and acknowledge a lot that were outside of the Black community. And just in general, like industries had to really take notice of how they've been functioning for way too long. How, how has this period of time like affected the the way in which you hope for and 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 like set goals for people of color in the industry like i'm sure that along your journey you've seen moments where you're like this has to change for people of color but now that it's an actual conversation has it changed what you hope for i think you know this movement you know i think it hasn't necessarily changed what i've hoped for i think the biggest thing that this movement has done for me is has it's validated and solidified for me what I've always been saying 
is that Black people, it's not, we, we're not asking for a handout. You know, Black people, I'm speaking for Black people because as, as a Black person, I, I'm speaking from, from, from that, from my perspective. As Black people and as a Black person, I'm not asking for, I'm asking for a seat at the table. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm not asking to be given anything I don't deserve. I'm asking for a seat at the table. You know, I don't want your seventh role in a pilot that's just has to be uh, has to be diverse. So it's any person of color. I want to look at a I want to read a script that's for black people. I want to read a script that's written by black people for black people. I don't want we don't want, you know, the white guy writing for Black people. We want Black people writing for Black people. We want Black people in positions of power. We want people of color in positions of power. How is a white person going to tell a Latin story? How is a white person going to tell a Black story? And when you look at Black people on television in these sort of, you know, eight, fourth, fifth leads, these are characters that were written for white people that Black people are, are filling the quota. Right. So like this person isn't black. This person isn't Asian. This isn't, uh, um, you know, this isn't a BIPOC person. This is a person. This is a character that was written white. But the network in the studio said we need some diversity here. So let's give it to this character who's separate from all the other characters and let's make them diverse. But are you writing for the diversity of that person? Is this person authentically Asian, authentically black, authentically Latin? Or is this just a, a brown person, you know, sitting, fitting in to this world that was created by white people for white people? So what I hope and what I want is that we're now starting to write for people of color, specifically for that diverse, that ethnicity and that diverse person. Like, don't give me you know, a white person to make it black. What is, are the parents going to be black? Is are, like, are you going to incorporate what it's like to be a black person as a doctor on this show? Or is this just a black person as a doctor in this white world? And all of a sudden everything's great. Like that's not the world we live in. If 2020 has, has shown us anything is that, that there is still injustice in this country, massive injustice in this country. And so if we're not going to allow the television and our shows to reflect that we're doing a disservice to the next generation of people. So what I'm hoping and what I want is for the industry to change from the top down. I want to see black executives, creative executives, development executives, casting executives, directors, writers, producers, showrunners, like that's where the change starts. You know, you've got to have, you've got to have development of BIPOC you know, stories in the pipeline by BIPOC creatives. And then when you, when you have a pilot and you have seven characters that are of color, you are going to get authentic, authentic actors playing these roles as opposed to trying to get the, the brown version of a white person. Because that's what they're yeah. asking for now. They want the brown version of a white person. They're like, you know, she's very eloquent and articulate and she's did it. And it's like, great. But like, What's her family like? You know, why is all of a sudden, oh, now, wait, her dad's white because she's light? Why can't she, you know what I mean? So, like, there's all these different things that I think needs to happen before there's any real justice for people of color in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, it's such a, it's such a good point that, I mean, I can even admit, I never even thought of the, the fact that roles are being written by white people for people of color. So that's something that I, I can admit myself that I didn't, it didn't even 
come to mind. And it's so important. It's the same thing as when people are writing about religions that they don't know about. You know, it's the same. It's so important to have representation. And I, I really hope that we start moving towards that now, right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's definitely Absolutely. happening. It's a, a moment in history um, that's been long overdue. Um, I was going to ask you, actually, if you could give um, anybody aspiring to be a talent manager, what advice would you give them? Save up your money. No, um, <laughs> don't do it. No, if I, I, here's what I would say. I would say if I can give anyone who has aspirations to be a talent manager, you know, the biggest thing for me is having your own point of view and having your own voice and knowing what you want and what you like and representing people that are going to be a reflection of who you are. This being a manager is so much about the personal connection you have with your clients that you've got to truly have a strong sense of self, you know, because you're going to be asked to do everything under the sun for these actors. And you're going to be required to do that because as managers, we do everything. You know, we're not one thing. So you've got to ask yourself, like, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Do you have aspirations to be a producer? Because part of management is going to be producing. Your clients are going to want to produce. They're going to want to write. They're going to want to direct. So you've got to know and have an understanding of all of these different parts of the industry in order to be an effective manager for your clients. You've got to know that you've got to fight as hard as they are fighting to get them into rooms and to help them you know, be set up to do well. So it's not, it's not an easy job. Everyone wants to be a manager and everyone is a manager because you, you know what I mean? But to be a really good manager, there has to be a level of, of honesty and understanding and humility and, and that this job is not as easy and not as glamorous as it's shown on television. Um, and you've got to know that you're going to be working a lot harder than you think, and you don't make money until your clients make money. So remember that your job is to help them get work so that you can eat. <laughs> because not all, because all, a lot of managers don't have salaries. We work for commission. Yeah. So if they're not working, you're not making money. So you have to remember that and look at that and think about, are you willing to work for free until you get paid? Yeah, to believe in that vision. Um, you've yeah. been such a tremendous guest. Uh, you've been such mm -hmm. a light. You, you you bring so much joy to every situation I feel like you've just got an energy and it's been such a joy to talk to you so thank you um, we always finish the podcast with uh, two questions and uh, mine is what do you want your next breakthrough moment to be? I want my next breakthrough moment to be for me personally I will say I want to no longer be paralyzed by financial fear. I want to I want to be able to know that no matter what, I'm always always taken care of and I want to remember that every single time I have financial insecurity is to to be reminded or to have my mind or my body or my higher power say to me, you're okay, you've always been okay. I've got you. Just keep going. Absolutely. I mean, you're for me you are such a 
instant manifester in terms of what you bring into your life and invite into your life. And so I totally, I'm calling that in for you too. It's just, I think we all deserve that feeling, but I get you so much. It's like the, um, the not knowing when and if what's going to happen, but you're, you are such a light in this world and so special. And I think you find really special people as well. And I'm really excited to see who you bring to us because really like you're the one going out there finding the people we're going to love, you know? So amazing. I have one final question for you as well, which is if you could relive, not change, just re-experience one of the breakthrough moments you've had again, which would you choose? Wow, that's a good question. You know what? I would You know what? I would have to say I would I would go back to college and relive my undergraduate experience the first 3 years that I was in school in Tennessee. Um because I think that was that was a huge moment for me. Um in leaving school to go pursue dance. And yet I wish that I would have handled it much differently. I think I would go back and finish school and then go out into the world. With that being said, I would not be where I am today had I done that. And so what I've decided to do and have done is I've gone back to school. Um, so I'm in school part-time to finish my undergraduate degree. Oh my God. I have so much respect for you. That's like, I can't imagine doing your job and going to school. That just shows you what you're capable of. My God. Thank you. Ah, oh, amazing. Thank you. Ah, thank you for giving us time and being such an amazing guest. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you both having me. To hear all the amazing things Johnny's been up to, follow him on Instagram at JustJohnnyWebster. J-U-S-T-J-O-H-N-N-Y-W-E-B-S-T-E-R. To keep up with us behind the scenes and upcoming episodes, follow us on Breaking Through underscore the podcast and Breaking Through podcast on TikTok. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, you've already accomplished more than you recognize. So go celebrate the small wins. We'll see you next week on Breaking Through the Podcast.